Alright, hi everybody, welcome back with us at uh, Property Brothers So Far So Good series now. Uh, if you are wondering why are we switching back to a Wednesday session, this is in preparation uh, for Phase 2 reopening. So I uh, just want to welcome you again to, for joining us live. So if you're watching from Facebook, uh, Instagram or YouTube, feel free to leave your comments right down below. My name is Melvin Lim and uh, we hope that everybody has been doing well so far. And of course, good news for Singapore, we are reopening to Phase 2. Uh, coming Friday and uh, of course we are all very excited about uh, what's going to happen uh, and uh, for physical viewings to resume I mean especially for the property industry so for those of you out there who are who are prepping to come for physical viewings to take a look at properties because you're looking for homes and stuff uh, you can uh, definitely stand by for this weekend now today we have uh, a very interesting guest and he's an expert uh, when it comes to mortgage loans. So I'm very fortunate to have uh, Kenneth Toe with us. I'll bring him uh, on live with us shortly to have a chat today. So what we'll be covering today is all about mortgage loans. We'll be talking about uh, stuff that probably you might have been wanting or yearning to ask when it comes to taking a mortgage loan or what's the impact of, of the current COVID-19 situation about deferment of loans and or reconstruction of loans for landed properties and stuff like that. So I'm going to ask him a couple of questions later, uh, and then we're going to have uh, an enjoyable session. So again, if you are watching uh, live with us, uh, we welcome you to key in any questions and comments. Anything you want to ask about mortgage loans, feel free to ask. Uh, we'll, we'll get Kenneth to answer them later at the last portion of this Q&A series today. So uh, let me bring up Kenneth, and then we'll have a chat from there. Kenneth, hi. Hey Kenneth, hi, how are you? How have you been? Good, good. Still, I think uh, for the last two months, we see a lot of changes to the market. I think uh, I think everything is going to pick up after this Friday. Right, right. Yeah, good, good to see that uh, you, are, you are doing well. Are, are you at home now? Yes. So I'm you guys have been operating so, from home? Uh, yeah, so currently for this phase, we are still... Uh, working from home, although we can actually technically enter into office. But a good thing about our business is that uh, we can work from anywhere as long as you have a laptop and a phone to engage with customers. So we are quite lucky in a sense. Right. Good to hear. Good to hear. And uh, just a brief introduction about Kenneth before I ask him to introduce himself. Kenneth uh, is the, the founding director of KeyQuest Mortgage. So he and his team, uh, they specialize in helping consumers to uh, do comparisons across uh, all different banks in Singapore, especially when it comes to refinancing or taking up a new mortgage loan for your purchase. So uh, they're experts in deciphering um, the different kinds of uh, mortgage technicalities when it comes to terms, lock-in periods, uh, whether you are choosing a fixed or floating or what is sideball, what is bought rate, what is fixed D rates and stuff like that. So uh, later at the end of the show, we're going to leave uh, some contact links down below so that uh, you have uh, some navigation to to find out about uh, what Kenneth and his team does at KeyQuest Mortgage for you guys. So uh, KeyQuest Mortgage has been um, uh, partners with us uh, in helping some of our clients over the years and uh, they have a team of very experienced uh, mortgage brokers. So I think today will be a great session and uh, once again we welcome you to, to leave any questions later for Kenneth. So Kenneth, why don't uh, you just give a brief uh, backdrop about uh, yourself and your team uh, how many people are there, and then and then uh, usually what what they do day to day basis, and and yeah, just just give a brief introduction to our audience. Okay, uh, thanks thanks Melvin for the earlier introduction. So uh, basically for us, we're at KeyQuest Mortgage. We have a team of about eight to nine person now, 
So day-to-day perspective, uh, basically we are touching base with new customers who actually have some questions about their refinancing or even loan deferment and like the different kind of interest rate package. So we actually uh, do a webinar style. Uh, through Zoom, we actually talk with clients or over the phone, we actually run through with the customers like, oh, what's the current interest rate package in the market? And what's the difference between like diamond package, deposit rate, as well as bank spot rate. So our role is to basically to educate the client. So when they are making a purchase of their property, which interest rate they should be looking out for, or in terms of refinancing, what is the better package? And we go into very small fine line details like to prevent customer caught off guard. Uh, like um, there are certain clauses they are not aware and if the banks were to do some changes on letter offer, they, they are all well prepared that before they enter into these contracts. Right. Yeah. And um, yeah. Thanks. Thanks for thanks for sharing about about your your main uh, so called service that you provide to to your clients. I think it's very important as well because um, I mean, if let's say if let's like example somebody's buying a property, usually the main challenge is that um you we have to do an in principle approval before um you actually put down your option fee right let's say if it's, it's a whether it's a new launch or is it a resale property but sometimes uh because the promotion uh for the bank package uh interest rates they, they change every month so by the time that you commit to a property uh the package changes and you have like so many banks to to shop around you you need to compare and they there are probably some sometimes some hidden technicalities and differentiation that you might not be able to see at the front. So I think uh, having an expert helping you to decipher and explain uh, will definitely help. Uh, although there are definitely a couple of websites that are very useful as well on, on the Singapore platform. But I think also having an uh, expert to give you the opinion and advice, I think I think that's, that's uh, fantastic. So Kenneth, just want to ask a burning question, right? I mean, uh, I mean, since the start of Circuit Breaker, this has been one of the, the burning questions that a lot of people will have is that should they uh, go ahead and take the deferment uh, relief uh, from uh, Singapore MAS uh, on the mortgage mortgage uh, payment every month until end of uh, December 31st, 2020. So so what are the pros and cons for doing that? Because uh, we, we know that, you know, when you do that, definitely there'll be a, a slight increase in, in the interest in totality for the entire tenure. So maybe you can, you can give an advice on what, what do you usually advise your clients when they ask you about this deferment? Uh, okay, so I think that uh, what I think is that for some clients, it definitely makes sense whereby they want to have managed to have a better cash flow for the next six to seven months. Because um, example, if your monthly installment plus the interest you're paying about $10, $10,000 a month. By doing a deferment for six to seven months, technically you free up an additional cash flow of 60 to 70K. Okay. So to some business owner or to some individuals, it might make sense because uh, I have another 60 to 70K to play around within the next six to seven months. So I have an additional cash flow rather than to put into the mortgage. Uh, that would be probably the potential upside. Uh, like what you mentioned, the downside is that you achieve the the, although you don't pay installment for the next six to seven months, uh, and the interest is still calculated in. So that means this six to seven months of interest, right, will be recomputed to your next year uh, principal sum. So example, if your interest is $2,000 a month, six months is 12K, and your outstanding loan is 1 million. So basically next year, your outstanding loan will, will be 1 million. On top of that, you just need to add in the $12,000 interest and recompute out 
based on the remaining loan tenor you have. So the amount of interest you incur, uh, you technically you basically you incur more interest, mm. but in terms of cash flow versus twelve k versus your saving of six uh sixty k over six months, it it does make sense for some people. Mm. Yeah. So your recommendation is that for people who probably um needs uh this this six months period to maybe manage their expenses for in terms of their business especially for business owners in this situation where where they can't operate under the the circuit breaker um or maybe for people maybe one of the spouse has lost their their job or something like that then uh it'll be an advisable move is that is that what you are referring to yes that's right. right so this is uh this is for the government has came out this initiative to help some Singaporeans in the event that like what you mentioned that uh either the spouse or themselves have a loss of job or they can't operate their business mm. then this relief is very helpful because uh they will have a better cash flow within mm. the next six to seven months mm. right and i think i mean uh, of course the, the the total interest calculated will increase right uh, and it's based on the entire balance tenor but of course sometimes people don't don't live in one property uh, all the way. I mean, they they might yeah. they might sell after five years or or eight years and stuff. So technically, the amount of interest increment is also uh, quite manageable, lah, right? And yeah. um, coming to this, I mean, how how is the COVID nineteen situation? I mean, uh, in the in the mortgage loan industry, I mean, uh, we've spoken to our our lawyers, uh, partners. I mean, they've shared like you know naturally. I mean, because uh, in terms of convincing plus mortgage loans, they're all tech and packed to the yeah. amount of transactions in the property industry. So it's like all interlinked, right? And uh, transactions definitely has dipped in terms of the resale market and, and, and launches and stuff. So how, how about your end? I mean, what, what, what do you see on the ground in terms of the amount of new take-up rates? And also, has there been an increase in the amount of people taking doing refinancing because of the very low interest rate environment now? Uh, what we see over the last few months is that the number of purchase transactions uh, has actually dipped quite a fair bit. I would say, uh, based on our business itself, we see a drop of uh forty percent, uh twenty to thirty to forty percent in terms. Of this. But we actually see a surge in the refinancing market because uh we can see because after uh in the market when US announced uh they are slashing interest rate to zero percent. And cyber actually has thinned down quite a fair bit. Mm. From January, the cyber package was about 1.8 and it has dropped to about 0.54% now. So we can see, wow, the the, the dip of the cyber has went down. Mm. And a lot of people are taking this advantage to do a refinancing. And because all the banks are coming up with very competitive package to mm. attract customers to do refinancing at this period. So overall, uh, in the whole market, what we see is that Although purchase uh, are lesser, but we see more inquiries on the refinancing and people want to find out like, which bank has the best interest rate, mm. how much they can sell. So we actually do up calculations for consumers that if they switch from, example, a housing loan, mm. from HDB housing loan, 2.6 to loan, how much they save, mm. or even for their existing current bank. So mm. uh, I would say quite a substantial increase on the refinancing market. Mm. Mm. Yeah, talking about refinancing, um, um, definitely this this can only be done after your lock-in period is is up, right? And uh, you guys, okay. I mean, um, you guys are able to do refinancing for for uh consumers, but repricing will have to be done within the bank itself, right? Am, am I right to say that? Yeah. 
Correct. Right. If it's repricing, the, uh, the customer need to contact the banks directly mm. uh, to assist on that. Yeah, so so we, we, we also always advise our clients that uh, every time to decide whether you do a repricing or refinancing after your lock-in period is to calculate the amount of costing involved versus the interest saving. So uh, because doing refinancing, there will be costs uh, such as the, the, the new legal fees plus sometimes uh, a new valuation report fee and stuff. But of course, if the interest savings over the next two to three years vis-a-vis uh, -vis this cost is so much more, right, then it will make sense to switch, right? So... Uh, kind of like in, in your own uh, opinion, right? Because we, we know the bank loan rates changes every month and they change at different dates across different banks, yes. right? So are, are you able to maybe just uh, hint like, you know, for this particular round, this month right now, which are the top three uh, most attractive uh, rates from, from, the, from the banks? Um, in terms of fixed rate, uh, we, just, uh, we just saw a new package coming up Mm. Uh, the fixed rate we are looking at uh, all time low. Uh, before today, uh, the fixed rate we are looking at is about one point five percent for mm. two years. Uh, but one of the partnering uh banks just came out with a new package that they are able to offer up to one point three eight for two years fixed. Wow, rate package. Okay. Yeah, and depending on loan amount. Uh, we might be able to negotiate to a 1.3% fix for two years. Wow. Uh, but if customers who are, uh, who are more risk effort, uh, and who will want to bet against Cyber and continue to go down, mm. so I would think Cyber package we are looking at maybe about first two years at 1.19 mm. uh, or the next two years. Mm. So like what you mentioned, uh, some of things uh, when you are looking to do refinancing, what are the Things you need to take on the all are the cost of uh, legal fee as well as valuation. Mm. So the good thing about uh, in today's market, as soon as it's a refinancing, mm. the bank are actually allowed to give out some perk like uh, cash rebate or legal fee subsidy. So it actually lessens the burdens of the client paying upfront cash to mm. do their refinancing. Mm. And convincing fee now for refinancing is within uh, 1005 2008, mm. and for valuation. All the customer need to pay about maybe it's a range of 300 to 500. So, with the subsidies the banks are giving out, at times the client only just need to top up a couple of hundred dollars to do the refinancing. Right, right. So, yeah. going back to the, the two packages that you mentioned, right, you, you're talking about the 1.38%, and then if let's say the loan amount yeah. is, is of a larger quantum, you might be able to um, negotiate up to about 1.3% for a consumer. That is a, a lock in two years. Um, and it's a yeah. it's, it's fixed, but is it packed to cyber or is it not packed to cyber? Is 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 it a bot rate or, or like a fixed D rate and stuff? Um, this is a pure fixed rate which will not fluctuate uh, uh based on market sentimental. So the okay. good thing is that if interest rate is on the upward trend, uh, you are not affected. You are still locking in. But the downside is if the the interest market is still on the downward trend, then you are paying slightly more premium. Right. Oh, okay, sorry. I, I was trying to ask for the the other one that you mentioned, the one point one five, that the very oh, attractive one. One point one nine. Okay. One point one nine. Is, is yeah, it's a cyber package. Right. So the bank spread is about zero percent mm. plus five four, which add up to about one point one nine percent. Right. So this is a floating package, and there's no lock in. Uh, it's a floating, but there is also a lock in of one to two years. Right. So depending on the on the type of package that you select, right? So kind of um, we have we have a very burning question from a lot of 
uh, buyers, especially since we roll out uh, some of the landed um, so-called like uh, interviews we have with some of the, the builders and stuff in so far so good. So okay. some, some people they are asking about reconstruction loans when it comes to buying okay. older landed properties to tear down and rebuild, right? So a lot of um, listeners, they want, they want to know like a little bit more in-depth about recon loan. So um, maybe some, some uh, key questions about reconstruction loan is that like um usually how how much can somebody let's say somebody buy uh a landed inter-terrorist land right for maybe about two point uh i just say probably 2.5 million uh, and then um based on this 2.5 million they're taking they're already taking a 75 percent loan 25 percent down payment uh how much reconstruction loan can they take on this house if they want to tear down and rebuild and let's say if they, um, they, their builder quote them uh about a million dollars to rebuild so out of this one mil, how, how many percent can they take? Uh, usually for reconstruction loan, depending to bank to bank per se, mm. uh, it's a range of 50 to even up to 75% of the rebuilding cost. Right. So may I say, example, if the quotation from the uh, builders is about one mil, so maximum they can go up to about 75% financing for the construction loan amount. Mm. And... Mm. Uh, the good thing is about construction loan is that uh, the loan tenor is not uh, same as your housing loan. Because today, if you purchase a property and you are at the age of 65 years old, so right. sorry, if you are age 40, the max loan tenor is 25 years because for purchase, the loan tenor is kept at age of 65. Mm. But when you get a construction loan, uh, you can actually offer a longer loan tenor which uh, based on which uh, 40 you can actually go up to 30 years for the construction loan okay what what is the calculation method for the tenor for recon loan uh it's usually up to 875 years uh old or maximum up to 35 30 to 35 years depending on banks to banks per se as well oh i see so they based on 75 minus your age but max cap at 30 35 depending on your tdsr and stuff lah Yes, that's right. Okay, so uh, the recon loan requirement is it still strictly based on TDSR or they they look at other 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 things as well? Uh, the reconstruction loan, the uh, one of factor is TDSR, mm. but the way of calculation is slightly more slightly more stringent compared uh, because they use a higher interest rate as a stress test for construction loan rather than when you purchase residential, they use TDSR and they have a stress test interest rate which is three point five. But mm. for construction loan, you use a higher stress test level of uh, 5 or 6% for calculation purposes. Mm, mm. So um, what you're saying is that some, somebody buys a, a lender for 2.5 million, right? They take a mortgage loan. And then on top of that, they they take the uh, reconstruction loan. So these are two separate loans. Um, and yes, right. um, of course, they, they work on separate monthly repayments, right? But um, what about when when somebody wants to sell their property um, after five years? Uh, what happens to the recon loan? And and like, is there any penalties? Is there any lock-in period? Like minimum, you have to occupy your landed for how long before you can sell so that there's no penalty from, from repaying back the recon loan and stuff? Okay. So for reconstruction loan, interestingly, uh, uh, number one, as I mentioned earlier, the loan tenure is longer, mm. but the interest rate is actually higher also depending bank to banks, I would say for construction loan, it range from four to six percent. Mm. Uh, but once uh, once you start to build and once the project TOP, right, 
the construction loan is actually added back to your housing loan and you will enjoy the same interest rate as your housing loan so that's right. the uh good thing about construction loan that after once the project TOP, it will be converted into third into a housing loan mm. but the downside is that during the building phase uh, whereby you're paying the money installment for the construction loan number one you can't use cpf so the amount has to be payable via cash only so once it's converted then you can switch uh once it's converted to a housing loan that's where you can start using cpf to service the loan and for construction loan usually do not they do not have a lock-in period mm. they will actually follow your housing loan per se lock-in so example if you do a rebuild it takes about maybe one year um, for the whole process to be completed so if your housing loan is locked is two years so at end of two years you can actually do a refinance or even up to a four years mark when you sell there won't be any penalty incurred for mm. this construction loan anymore mm-hmm. right so um so technically what you're saying is is like the same i mean for example let's say somebody wants to buy a landed property that's brand new and it costs them uh in the market maybe about 3.8 million for a new built in the terrace but uh they're yeah. thinking of having their own design and they have the time probably one and a half years to do this project so they they buy a, a old land 2.5 million and then spend another one mil ought to build it and take a 75 percent loan on that one mil so technically it's, it's the same as buying a three over million dollar property because the the loan All is right. covered the so the the only kicker is that during your reconstruction period, if it delays, then the amount of interest that you pay during that that construction period is is higher, right? Because your 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 installment does it kickstart immediately when you take the recon loan, or it kickstart only after TOP, or, or does it kickstart during the construction phase? Uh, for construction loan is similar to a building under construction property. Uh, it's going to be progressive growth down. So, like example, when a builder has completed a certain phase on the construction mm. uh they inform the lawyers the lawyers will actually inform the banks to draw down uh the payments for a developer so right. it's going to be progressive draw down right 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 so it's a disbursement kind of arrangement all right so it's like if, if your construction is one year so your loan will actually be dispersed out within the next one year mm. but something to take is that uh let's say if you are getting the max 75 percent the initial 25% has to come out from your own pocket first before the bank start releasing the uh, construction loan. Mm, got it. Right. Yeah, I think that, that clears a lot of air, especially for, for buyers that are planning to do some um, form of reconstruction uh, kind of plans uh, down the road. And I think it's, it's very useful information. Thanks, thanks Kenneth, for that. Uh, we have um, um, one, more, one more very interesting question, right, is that uh, I think this this will pertain to buyers that are buying property for the first time, and mm-hmm. sometimes um, uh, we we have heard like you know like buyers when they already plan to buy a property, but uh, because of the probably the the lack of planning in advance, uh, their TDSR suffers, and that uh delays the time for them to commit to a property. For example, somebody already planned to to buy a property, but midway they they change jobs, right? They change jobs. Uh, and okay. um, their their income salary slip is 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 resetted, and then it affects probably the the credibility towards the bank part, or maybe somebody commits to buying a new car right just right before one month later that they're planning to to buy a property. So, uh, what are some of the tips that you have for first time buyers when it comes to um 
protecting their TDSR, uh, especially when it, when it's is on the route to buying their first property. What are some of the, the tips and then some of the, the ways to, to ensure that your TDSR is healthy and stuff like that? Okay, a few things is that number one, one of common things we usually advise clients is, let's say if you are looking to purchase a property within the next few months, so your credit card spending actually is taken into TDSR calculation. So what we advise is either you minimize the usage on the credit card or uh, within like the next one to two months, you just focus on spending on one credit card. So some of, we, we also have this experience that some clients actually have five or 10 credit cards uh, with them. And because each credit card has some cash rebate, air amount for this, so they, they typically spend on each card 500, 500 or a thousand to enjoy the perks uh, the banks are giving. So this actually becomes a, a, a calculation when the banks look at it that you have 10 credit cards, they will have an ag aggregate exposure for all these credit cards. So mm. this will actually reduce the uh, amount of loan you can use because if you have uh, five or 10, 20 credit cards you have in your pockets. So we'll advise clients who are looking to purchase the property for the first time, you might want to take note uh, on the credit card spending or focus your spending to one card. And making late payment on your credit cards also uh, affect your scoring when the banks look at it because mm. uh to the bank point of view today if you are a non-good pay master and every time you take 60 days or 90 days to pay your credit card they will be concerned because a credit card maybe is in thousands but whereby your mortgage loan you have to constantly uh, pay this amount every month will you have the servicing ability so mm. these are some of things consumer and take note before you purchase uh making on time payment on your credit card uh minimize your spending on your credit card and like what uh, you mentioned earlier, Melvin, like for car loans, uh, we we don't recommend you purchase a car uh, before buying a property mm. uh, just within that few months because that will also eat into your TESR calculation. Mm. So all these small little things will be computed. Another common one we see nowadays is like a lot of clients uh, see this kind of credit card promotion whereby they have zero interest rate for six months and uh, you don't need to pay uh, anything within the next six months. This is also considered as a commitment uh, to the bank's point of view that you, when you get, have a line of credit, you utilize, you just need to pay a minimum sum every month. So all these uh, credit cards, car loans will actually uh, affect uh, the eligible loan amount you will be able to secure as well. Right. How about job change? I mean, like as um, just now when we explored about job change, like if somebody is planning to change their jobs, right? Um, how many months later uh, will they be eligible for for a loan? Like, or it depends on the kind of job that they're taking and and stuff like that. Like, what what is your advice? Okay, so based on our experience, if the company is like an MMC, mm. usually we just need a one month pay slip and um, salary grading and CPA contribution, the banks are able to take it. But if it's a SME level, uh, usually the banks are more comfortable with at least three months uh, pay, uh, CPA contribution and salary grading before uh, they assess the client. Mm. So if they're looking to switch between jobs, um, so probably they want to plan it out as well that they want to, if it's an SME industry, probably you have to be applied for three months before you can actually apply for a job. But mm. if it's an MMT, then that's not much of an issue. Usually it's about one month uh, before 
the banks will be able to recognize their income. Right. So it's either one month for big firms or three months for, for SMEs. Uh. And how about like if somebody is, is working overseas, right? They're, they're Singaporeans uh, working overseas, drawing overseas income, uh, and then uh, they want they want to leverage and take a, a mortgage loan for a property in Singapore. So, so how does that come into play? Like how many months of uh, pay sleep or, or what kind of method, salary crediting or stuff like that? Usually for overseas income, let's say if it's a Singapore working overseas, the banks usually want to see at least a six months pay slip, uh and six months salary creating. Mm. But at times it might go up to 12 months as well, 12 months of pay slip and 12 months of salary creating before the banks will want to assess or even take in the client's income. Mm. Mm. So is that just yeah. six to 12 depending on the on the, the profile and, and, and stuff? Yes. So it, it, I would say it is quite similar whether the, usually if it's overseas, most of the time we see is a, a bigger firm, MM2. Uh, it's just that sometimes the banks will want a longer period if the clients has been um, in the overseas for more than one or two years. Sometimes they just want to make sure that the salary is consistent over the last 12 months. Mm, right. Yeah. Right. So um, what, what do you think of the market? I mean, for the, for the rest of 2020 right? and, and moving forward to 2021, what, what do you think of the, the market pertaining to the interest rates environment? Will, will rates continue to stay low or is there a chance that rates will increase? And, and yeah, what, what, what do you think? I mean, recently we we're just doing like some, um, some tests, right, on, on different kinds of interest rates uh, for the initial mortgage, right? So, uh, I mean, for example, I mean, if we were to compare a, a interest rate at 1.55% versus 2.55%, the amount of, um, of money, money mortgage that someone is paying towards the principal and interest is, uh, so much more when the interest rate is lower in terms of the, the principal, uh, repayment portion. So, um, what, what do you think? I mean, personally, do, do you think that the interest rate will, will go up in maybe one to two years time? Like what, what is the interest rate kind of prediction? Uh, it's actually a very tricky question, but based on uh, my personal opinion, what we see is that uh, high chance that the cyber or the interest rate market should remain low within the next 12 months. Uh, I don't, I, we, we don't think that the interest rate will rebound within yeah the next 12 months. Mm. But after 12 months, it's also depending on how's the recovery on the whole market in Singapore as well as globally. Because if uh, if we still see uh, increase of job loss of this, then potentially I doubt the interest rate will go up within the next 12 or even up to 24 months. So I think it's a global impact for this round. Uh, there is also a high possibility that you can remain low for more than one year for mm. the interest rate wise. Mm. Right. Yeah. And um, I mean, definitely interest rate is one of the very key component when it comes to a, a property uh, purchase or investment decision, right? Because that, yeah. that would determine what is the, the kickstart phase of the, the mortgage loan and, and stuff like that. So um, what, what is your usual advice? I mean, people will ask you like, hey, you know, should I take a fixed rate uh, for two years? Or maybe I should be a little bit more um, adventurous and I just follow the the flexi rate and have a three month cyborg and stuff like that. I mean, what, what is your advice? Or how do you decide I mean, I mean, as, a, as a consumer? Like, should I go for the fix or should I go for floating? Okay, I, I will usually share with the clients the pros and cons. Like, uh, if you are on a fixed rate, uh, you are going to be very safe for the next two, three years. Mm. Uh, and 
technically, if the markets increase, you are not affected. But if you are on a floating package, example for Cyborg, all in you are about 1.19 versus a fixed, uh, which is about 1.3 plus now, um, the buffer is quite minimum. Mm. Unless Cyborg continues to roll on the downward trend. If not, uh, it depends on the customer risk appetite. So if they are someone who are very safe and do not want to monitor their interest rate for the next two, three years, or even up to five years, uh, they should go for something which is safe. Mm. But if they are slightly more risk adverse and they don't mind uh, to actually uh, continue to monitor on the interest rate within the next six to 12 months, they can actually go for a cyber package, uh, which is currently, we see that it's still on the downward. Because the lowest um, three months cyber we saw before was about in 2009 to 2013, it was about 0.3 to 0.4%. So that is a potential that uh, the cyber might be still going towards that, that past uh, low, uh, which we saw before. Mm, mm. Yeah. Right, right. So, um, yeah. So, so your 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 answer will be really based uh on, firstly the the risk appetite right of of the of the consumer plus, yes. uh after explaining the terms and uh end of the day I mean it's still the choice of consumer or which one to to go to right. So I, I think we have a question coming in, uh maybe we can take one question in the meantime before we head on to the rest. Yeah. So okay. Uh, we have the question from Wee Lam. Uh, let me just read out a question for for those audience that um might be listening from Spotify and and Apple Podcast. So, uh, Wee Lam asked the spread for bank loan is zero point eight to one percent plus three months sidebar. One of the local bank come up with a fixed rate of one point five percent for five years. Which package will you recommend to your client? Um, I mean, if if we were to recommend right, um. I would say it depends on the risk appetite again. But of course, in terms of figures and number, uh, if you look at the banks, if the if the bank spread based on his scenario, right, uh, all in is about 1.5. Because if the bank spread is about 1% plus three months time is about 1.54, then definitely it makes sense to go for a fix. Because usually based on market trend, fix is always higher than uh floating package. But for his for this scenario, if it's one percent, then you're paying one point five four all in a cyborg. Then it definitely makes sense for me to recommend a fixed rate because it's lower. But if the spread is zero point eight, the difference is uh is one point three four. You have a slight buffer of one point one percent. Then maybe uh it depends on the risk appetite again. I might actually recommend the client to go for a fixed rate because it's just zero point one plus percent difference. But if today we can open up the gap of um, to 1.16 to versus 1.5, uh, then I think it might make sense to look into the cyber package because you have room for buffer for cyber to increase over the next two to three years. You have at least a 40 basis point to play around. Mm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And um, I mean, of course, and this is also for five years. Um, so, I mean, it's like locking in for five years, which, uh, I mean, one over percent is really considered one of the, the lowest in, in the entire world like, in terms of mortgage rate. Right. So, okay. um, yeah, I think a lot, a lot of consumers are, are taking this time to really, 
uh, short for rates when it comes to refinancing. And um, so, um, Kenneth, just wanted to ask you, right? Um, mm. What is what is your view? What is your view on um, like mortgage insurance? You know, I mean, uh, over these few years, of course, a lot of people they are they are comparing taking the traditional mortgage insurance versus the term uh, kind of insurance, right? Because technically, they serve the same purpose. It's just that the mortgage insurance um, coverage reduces with a mortgage loan. So, what what is what is your take on that mortgage? insurance versus term insurance okay so for mortgage insurance is that uh what it, it is tied to this subject property only and uh like what you mentioned is reducing based on the outstanding loan amount and the premium comparing to the term insurance will be slightly lower as well uh versus a term but for me uh myself actually i opt for a term insurance rather than a mortgage insurance uh it's because example today i am 30 plus mm. by the time if i sell my property five to ten years ago five to ten years down the road i need to purchase another mortgage insurance and by then my premium might be higher mm. so if i opt for a term insurance uh my personal perspective is that it is uh i do not need to purchase another round in five to ten years when i sell my property so uh depends on customers whether they want to have a lower commitment on the installment for the insurance or they prefer to invest upfront for a term whereby it's a straight line. If I'm not wrong, uh, mm. my understanding for term insurance it actually cover uh permanent disability whereby a mortgage insurance doesn't. Mm. Mm. So what you're saying is that um if let's say example you're buying your first property and then let's say if it's like a 1.5 million dollar property and then you take a 75 percent loan right so um technically when you take a term plan uh, it covers the entire uh, amount and it's a straight line for the entire period uh maybe up to a certain age lah. but uh what you're saying is that if you go for mortgage insurance if you sell the property the, the mortgage insurance is tech with the property and then you That's might right. you when you buy the next home you have to redo the the new health check and things like that if it's needed but a term once it's done it's done and no matter how many properties you switch in between uh the the term is, is still there it's still valid in a sense yeah, yeah but, right. but of course that will depend on on your next few property choices i mean if you buy bigger quantum properties you need more coverage then you have to yeah. probably take more term insurance so okay we have another question coming from uh Willem again thanks Willem for for your question so uh, Willam is asking if I'm earning two thousand two hundred thousand per annum now, and uh, I'm able to take on a one point eight million dollar loan, uh, to purchase a new new home. But two years later, my income dropped to eighty thousand per annum. Would the bank deny me from doing a refi, a refinance? Uh, okay, I think this is a very interesting question. Um, the good thing about refinancing recently, uh, MS have actually reduced, uh. The criteria they actually have waived TDSR. So today, if let's say your income has dropped, but you still hold the income and you are able to service your money installment, even your TDSR is hundred percent, two hundred percent, or three hundred percent, the banks are still able to take in because we just did for a client a refinancing just about one to two months. Uh, her TDSR was about three hundred percent. The banks are still willing to take in her refinancing, even though he doesn't meet the criteria. Mm. So as long as you can prove some 
servicing ability that you're able to pay your money installment within the next 12 to 24 months. The bank for refinancing is usually less stringent compared to a purchase. I, I doubt that will be a bank to deny, but there might be certain criteria which you need to fulfill in order for the bank to continue on the refinancing. Right. So Kadam, the, the example that you just mentioned is, is um, particularly pertaining to right now the COVID-19 circuit breaker, right? Because I mean, uh, the banks are now a little bit more lenient when it comes to refinancing on the TDSR uh, check and stuff like that. But what about like, you know, before the circuit breaker? I mean, if this situation occurs before the circuit breaker, before COVID-19, right? Uh, when somebody has an income drop, would they take a full assessment of the, the income for TDSR when it comes to refinancing? Uh, even before COVID-19, as long as the subject property is owner-occupied, mm. uh, the banks are able to do TDSR up to 100%. Oh, wow. Okay. So they're a little bit more uh, more lax on that, that portion. Yes. And the good thing is, at the point of time when you do refinancing, you can choose to extend your loan tenure for, depending on age, uh, you can extend probably another 10 years, up to 10 years. Uh, for refi because refi you can go up to 35 years or up to 35 so imagine you're 40 years old you get a 25 years but refinancing you can actually shut up to 35 your monthly installment will drop therefore it might also make it easier for you to refi your properties right, how about how about um so you mentioned the tdsr is a little bit more relaxed for own state property how about investment property if let's say Willam is talking about his his second property i mean uh, how would the refi situation look like um Okay, so if it's before COVID, uh, if it's an investment property and you don't fulfill the TDSR, the banks will actually require you to pay down 3% of your principal sum in order to switch from bank A to bank B. But with this COVID-19, our government also has introduced the new measures that uh, for investment property, uh, even if you do not meet the TDSR, you are able to refi um, and you do not need to pay down 3% to refi to refinance the property. But I would say the TDSR might not be up to 300%. The banks probably will look at if it's an investment, probably maybe within 100% of the TDSR. Mm. Right. Yeah. So um, thanks, uh, Willem, for the questions. Uh, I think it's, 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 these, are, these are great questions. Uh, and uh, kind of, so one hot question, right? I mean, we always like to ask our guests during this period is that, uh, I mean, we, we interview people from, from from different industries relating to the, the real estate industry. So with the, the current like, pandemic, I mean, circuit breaker, COVID-19, and then of course, I mean, like in the US, we see like 40 million unemployment uh, job losses so far and stuff. And then of course, like um, Singapore, there are, there are like companies closing down as well over the last two months. So uh, just want to check with you, like, I mean, what, what, is your, what is your point of view? What is your opinion about the, the real estate market? And um do you think that uh if we, we balance we balance everything right we balance everything uh like recently we just did two episodes on our investors uh series season season two uh where we we balance out all the scenarios um and the fundamentals of singapore property market in terms of how many rounds of cooling measures that we have the interest rate environment uh the profile of buyers profile of current sellers who are the different groups of people uh, affected and stuff like that. So uh, what do you think? I mean, do you think that the prices will come down? Do you think that it will stay probably stable or flat? Or, or what do you think? What, what's, 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 your, what's your own uh, opinion on, on the property market? 
in terms of maybe uh, we're just talking about the private property market. Okay. Yeah. Um, I would think for property, private property markets, uh, it should still remain stable. Uh, I, I would think that for resale market, it might be slightly on uh, flat. But for new launches, I don't foresee uh, the price dropping, but maybe the developers will actually throw in some perks or discount to entice buyer to purchase. Uh, because I think with this COVID thing, um, the it can, I, I've, what I see before COVID 19 is like a seller market. Mm. Uh, a seller has a stronger say on the price they want. But after this pandemic, uh, I think it becomes a, more towards a buyer market. Uh, it depends on what the buyer wants to offer. Mm. So, so what we see is that uh, it would be stable uh, in terms of Singapore property market. Uh, I don't foresee a, a dip uh, in in this market. But I would right. say more on it would be more like a stable market for resale. Right, and uh, yeah, I, I think I think there's there's there has to be a balance of factors because we i think one thing that's working in favor now is the the very low interest rate environment right so yeah uh, that makes uh entry to to the market uh easier in the sense and of course i think with uh the current pandemic a lot of foreign buyers are also um looking out for, for countries that has has very strong healthcare system and, and stuff like that to, to park their funds in physical assets and stuff so uh, I, I think, um, yeah, I, and a lot of people are also looking at, you know, what is the impact of QE from US uh, for the past two months? I mean, with the stock market uh, uh, moving up after a very short uh, dip. So I, I think, um, yeah, if you have not seen the, our investors uh, series season two, episode one, you can head over to our channel on YouTube, have a look at the, at the episode where we analyze the fundamentals and, and try to balance out the factors and, and stuff like that. So uh, kind of we have another question coming in. Let's take this okay. question, right? So, um, Chai Chiu is asking, uh, what is the condition to fulfill for equity loan? So, uh, I'm assuming that this question is pertaining to asking about equity term loan, um, or or uh, yeah, it's, I mean there there are several other terms on on this lah. So yeah, maybe kind of you can you can give a take on that. Okay, so if it's in the event that the client is looking to take an equity term loan from the asset. Uh, is possible, but it's only applicable for private properties. And the equity term loan, uh, if we talk about the condition needed for you, uh, is that you are still subjected to TDS. Uh, it's like buying a new property. Uh, you still need to fulfill the 60% TDS uh, before the bank will want to grant you equity term loan. In terms of interest rate, it will be similar as the housing loan, which is at one over percent. Uh, and the equity term loan is also up to 75 instead of 65 years old. So, Chai Chu, I hope I answered your inquiries regarding the equity term loan. Yeah, so um, usually how long after, let's say somebody buys a property right now, 2020, year 2020, June, somebody buys a property right now, usually how long later can they take an equity term loan? I mean, provided uh, there's some appreciation in value or uh, draw. I mean, like if 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 the mortgage vis a vis the. I mean, there has to be a difference, right? I mean, in the amount of mortgage mm. versus the the value of the house. So, how long? What is the time period? I would say usually it's about six months because the banks want to be able to see your repayment mm. ability and um, are you prompt in terms of repayment? 
for them to access. So most banks, what we understand is that uh, they want to see the repayment uh, ability for six months before uh, they will look into granting uh, equity term loan for the client. Mm. But some banks might be doing even up to one year. So it depends on bank to banks per se as well. Right. And uh, is this loan tech? Um, you mentioned it's, it's packed to your mortgage interest rate, right? So uh, yeah. will, will it be a lump together kind of installment payment or it will be two separate installment payment? Uh, it will be two separate installment because for equity term loan, right, uh, you can only use cash to service the money installment, whereas a housing loan, you can use CPF to pay for it. So the banks will usually uh, segregate out which is your housing loan and which is your equity term loan yeah. uh, to determine right so but this is only applicable if your property moves up in value or probably you have been servicing your loan for a couple of years and then there's a, a difference in in the new valuation vis-a-vis -vis the amount of uh outstanding mortgage and there's a spread there but uh, take note that you will have to less off the amount of cpf plus accrued interest that has been used in the in the property and that has to be taken into consideration because a lot of people miss out on that and on that portion yeah right. that's right Right. So, um, thanks. Thanks for the question, uh, Chai Chu. So, I, I think uh, kind of maybe we have one last uh, one to two question, right? So, um, okay. what what do you also think of um, maybe like the trend? You know, the trend uh, based on the amount of loans that you've been doing over the years and stuff like that. Uh, in terms of new new properties versus resale properties, um, if we are talking about the private condo market. So in terms of the amount okay. of loans that you've been dealing with, right? What 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 is the trend of um people buying in Singapore over the past two to three years? Is it more towards a new kind of uh, launches uh or resale or, or is it actually quite a balance every month? Uh, for over and out when we see more um transaction on the new launch, and we see on the resale market, we do we do see transaction moving but it's not as fast as the new launch and a lot of people are buying a new launch for investment as well so we see a lot of husband and wife they own an existing private and they actually did a decoupling to purchase another private property for investment mm. so i would say that uh the transaction should be on more towards the new launch comparing to resale market mm. Mm. Right, yeah. so so you are seeing like slightly more uh, skewed towards the new launch market per month. That's right. Right, I, yeah. I think in terms of statistics, it's about uh, fluctuating between about 50% um, each month. I mean, some months are higher, some months are lower. So it's about half the transactions for private market is, is for the new launches. Half is for resale every month. That has been quite constant for a couple of years. La. So I, yeah. uh, I, I think, of course, uh, as, as Singaporeans, a lot of people also prefer uh, newer projects but of course those people that are looking for space and immediate occupancy then uh, existing resale projects are also a uh, uh, favorite choice as well so that is i mean that that has different drawbacks lah. i mean you you might need to rent first while waiting for it to be completed and stuff like that and that's another topic altogether so uh, you talk about decoupling just now so when uh, you you mentioned that this is also on the uptrend and of course that we, we know that this has been the trend for the past five to six years really. Uh, when somebody yeah. decouples and then they do a refinance on the existing loan, right, for the person that's remaining, taking over all the share, while the other uh, spouse comes out to buy another property, right? So when they decouple, can they also take an equity term loan during the entire process? 
Uh, yes, they can. So in the process when they are doing decoupling, mm. uh, if there is buffer allowed, so like what you mentioned earlier on, uh, we need to take into consideration the CPF usage mm. uh, uh, based on the loan amount, I think the outstanding and CPF usage before the banks will be able to grant your equity term loan. Mm. And in this process, we can do everything together. That means we, sh- we shift from one bank to another bank to restructure up a new loan on buying over the spouse 50% as well as taking up an equity term loan and refinancing whatever outstandings you have with the current bank mm. as well. Mm. Yeah. Right. So uh, I think Chai Chu is, is asking um, a follow-up question as well on the buffer that the bank would need to have. Um, so for example, maybe to, to facilitate the question better, right, is that for example, let's say uh, somebody bought a property at 1 million all right, and then they, they take a 75% loan, 750000 outstanding. And then let's say after three years, right, they have paid down the loan to 700000 So the, the outstanding mortgage is 700000 And let's say there is no CPF usage, it's all cash down payment. And then the property appreciates to $1.2 million, for example. So I think Chai Chu's question is that um, what is the amount of equity term loan that uh, they can take. So, and, and and is it packed to the same 75% and, and stuff? Uh, yes, it was, it, we were, the banks were actually reassessed based on the new valuation of 1.2. Mm. From there, it was a max 75% loan, uh, minus of whatever outstanding loan you have. The balance will be the buffer the client will be able to take a equity term loan on. Right. Yeah, so it'll be the same uh, 75% chai chu on the new valuation, less of the outstanding loan. And uh, this scenario is if, let's say, you didn't use any CPF. But of course, if you use CPF, you have to less of the CPF plus accrued interest and stuff. Right. So uh, also for decoupling, um, a lot of people also do not know that actually there are, there are fees involved and decoupling legal, yeah. legal fees are, are slightly higher because there's like two sides of the transaction and stuff. So uh, I think one, 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 one thing that uh, kind of, and his team can definitely help you is that if you uh i mean have any questions for them they can help you to work out the sums entirely and stuff like that of course that um property brothers team our consult team can also help you to do the calculation when you are switching between portfolios and stuff like that all right so uh thanks kind of I, I think this session has been great uh we have a couple of uh, good questions coming in and stuff and uh, thank you for, for your take on the market and stuff. So we're going to flash uh, some of the, the links that you can look for, uh, Kenneth and his team at KeyQuest Mortgage. And then uh, I think there's a QR code coming up. Yeah, you can scan this QR code or take a photo of this QR code and scan it at a later part of the day when you're free. If you want to contact them, ask about mortgage advice, comparison of rates and, and how does their service work when it comes to uh, preparing your TDSR and then taking a loan for your for new home. Can of you guys do IPA as well, right? In principle approval. Yes, yes. We uh sometimes we actually assist to do an indicative over the phone. Just give them a rough ballpark figure mm. and follow up by uh approved and visible from bank so that the client is more assured uh before they commit to the case. They know what is the loan amount the banks will be able. Uh, to grant. Mm. Yeah, and uh, I think one thing I really like about KeyQuest is that uh, you guys work as a team, right? So, uh, like whenever a, a customer has has a has a loan requirement, immediately you, you guys set up a chat group. There'll be a couple of people inside handling the paperwork, uh, you giving the advice and stuff. Like that. So I think the benefit of working as a team is really there's more support when it comes to making a loan decision. And um, 
Also, uh, if you, you guys have not uh, probably seen some of our episodes over the last weekend where we had our Check It Out series, uh, we have launched our Telegram uh, channel. So uh, head on to our te- Telegram channel, sign up for, for this channel where we keep you updated uh, on the latest uh, real estate content and, and some news and, and articles and stuff like that. So you can uh, just sign up and then just head on and, and keep yourself updated. We also have a weekly newsletter. So uh, head on to our website, uh, click on the newsletter link. You'll be able to subscribe to our weekly newsletter that we keep you posted on the Singapore real estate market as well as as well as some of the content that we have. Also, this episode at So Far So Good is available to be viewed on uh, Spotify and uh, also on Apple Podcasts. So you just need to download the app. We also have another... Uh, podcast called Nuggets on the Go where we share tips daily. So uh, all this information is also on Property Brothers website. So head over to our website and all the content will be there as well as on, on our YouTube channel. So kind of once again, thank you very much uh, for coming live with us. We appreciate all the, the sharing and, and the opinion. Yeah, it's, it's been great. And then we'll, we'll see you around and take care. And for, for those of you out there, um, of course, I, I know a lot of people are standing by for phase two reopening. So uh, uh, just just want to wish uh all Singaporeans uh and our friends uh uh from from different parts of of uh, Asia or the world, uh, just keep yourself safe and take care during this period. So we'll see you soon and on our so far so good next week again. All right, take care, bye. Okay, see you guys, everyone. Stay safe.